0: charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship.
1: This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today.
0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to On the Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined today by Henry Washington. How's it going, man? What's up, buddy? So good to see you again. Feel like I haven't seen you a little bit. Glad to see you. I know. It does feel like a little bit. I, it's like probably been one week, but that's really long, long
2: enough, Dave. It's <laughs> far too long. What have you been up to? Oh man, it's been crazy. We are I'm buying deals like crazy right now. Things are selling. It's the it's Seems like a great market right now. I'm glad to hear that. That's awesome. Like
0: normal seasonality, like springtime, people are buying, you know, things are getting put on the market, that kind of stuff. People are getting the bug.
2: They want to go buy something. They want to move.
0: You've been playing a lot of golf too. I've been watching you I on Instagram. Have,
2: I have. I've i been playing is a, a loose word. I've been <laughs> it, playing might indicate that I know what I'm doing or that I'm good. You're I'm, on a golf course. though. Yes, I've been standing on a golf course, a golf course. <laughs> swinging a stick at a ball and hoping it makes contact. Yes,
0: that's what I do, and I would love to do that. We should do that next time we're
2: together. Sold.
0: All right. Well, we do have an awesome episode for you today. Uh, We have Lance Lambert, who is a journalist. He is uh, the editorial director of Fortune Education and writes uh, for Fortune Analytics. He is uh, probably one of my favorite housing market Twitter follows because he just does great visualizations. And for data nerds like you and I, Henry, it's just like, he's always like putting up these cool heat maps and uh, helping make data really understandable. Um, And he's got an incredible wealth of knowledge about what is going on in the housing market. What were some of the things you enjoyed most about the conversation?
2: I loved his kind of like personal experience that he wrapped into like, what got him into being able to be an expert in this. And I love uh, when you when you talk about the heat maps, I mean, one of the articles that you know, he's recently written, when you take a look at it, it really kind of shows you just how local real estate is, because you're able to see kind of like on a per state basis, what areas of the state or counties within that state are uh, trending up and some are trending down. In his Fortune article, things are getting really weird in the housing market. He's got some super cool heat maps uh, from a state basis that show just how local real estate is. You can see where, even within the same state, there are pockets that are going down in price and pockets that are going up in price. And so, just literally being able to see the data like that. Uh, gives you some great perspective on what's happening across the country.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He he really shed some light on some of the local differences between markets and gives it just a phenomenal synopsis of what has happened and sort of led us to this position where we are right now, where it's sort of hard to believe, but like the housing market is showing signs of life and he does a really good job explaining sort of
2: the backstory and the data for how you get there. And you want to stick around to the end because I did put him on the hot seat and made him try to tell us where he thought interest rates were going to be.
0: You did. You even invented a whole new segment for the show. (laughs) I did. You're welcome. Now we have the on the market hot seat. Henry's hot seat on the market. Oh, Henry's hot seat. That's even better. All right. we need (laughs) Kalen, we're going to need some cool music for that, which (laughs) Kalen is an expert at, so we'll definitely have some cool music.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break, but then we will be back with Lamps.
0: Lance Lambert, welcome to On the Market. Thanks for being here.
3: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, housing, 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 always a lot going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we knew that you were the right person to bring on to talk about. Uh, you know, it, there's always a lot going on, but it feels like right now, maybe there's even a little bit more than usual. Before we jump into all of that, can you just introduce yourself, Lance, and let people know how you are involved in the, the housing industry? Yeah, I'm the uh,
3: real estate editor over at uh, Fortune Magazine, and I've kind of, throughout my career, on and off, kind of covered the housing market a bit. Uh, I used to work at uh, Realtor.com, where I was re- really like immersed in housing data. And uh, when I came over to Fortune, I didn't come over to cover real estate or housing. But what happened is during the pandemic, you know, the housing market awoke. And so it's really absorbed a, l- a lot of my attention and mind space. And I've kind of moved my career uh, during the pandemic more and more in the direction of real estate.
2: Well, you picked a good time to move in that direction. Man. It's, <laughs> yeah, It's been a roller coaster since then. It,
3: it has been. And, uh, you know, right off the yeah. bat. Uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, you know, my, my wife and I, we were living in the Upper East Side and we had a, you know, a three-year-old, so we didn't have a lot of space. I told her, I'm like, well, you know, we're probably going to be remote for like a month. So this would be a good time to show that I could do my job remote and then let's get out of the city, you know, sometime this summer and move back home. We're both from Cincinnati And, and that's what we ended up doing, except, uh, remote work, of course, wasn't just a two, three, four week thing. It was like <laughs> a life changing event. Um, and then you know this this whole movement helped to you know awake the housing market in a way that we hadn't seen
2: in like, you know, fourteen, fifteen years. Yeah. So on that, like, give us your what's your what's your hot take, right? What's your twenty thousand foot like? What's the housing market look like to you? Because there's all these air quotes words that have been thrown around for like the past three years. It's crashing or it's correcting or now people are saying is it normalizing so how do you feel about the housing market right now are we getting back to normal levels or what do you think yeah so i think it's important to kind of take a step back
3: and look at it from what happened when the pandemic hit and when the pandemic hit you of course had housing markets are really just an extension of a job market regionally like a metropolitan area the distance to commute in that is the job market. It is also the housing market. But we saw that distangle or loose or disconnect a bit during the pandemic, where, you know, you had all these people who, you know, had higher incomes in these markets, that suddenly, you know, they could work from anywhere almost. And at the same time of the low rates, and the demographics, you know, the five largest uh, birth years of millennials are 1989 through uh, 1993. And so between 2019 and 2023, they're all hitting the all important first time home buying age of 30. Um, so it all kind of happened all at the same time. And as that's all going on and in 2020 housing is already off to the races, even though unemployment's still at double digits. Um, which is interesting. And the Fed really got behind there as we moved into 2021 and they continued uh, to stay uh, very much in quantitative easing mode. The stimulus, of course, we got a second and then a third package. And all at the same time, people were kind of ignoring the housing cycle and it was rolling. It was cooking. Uh, you know, we ended up getting our largest uh, 12 months ever for home price appreciation uh, we went over 21% in a one 12-month window, which is, which is interesting. And so as we moved into 2022 and the Fed kind of realizes, oh, we got behind, but not only did we get behind, a big driver of this is the housing market. And so last year, we had a series of Fed papers come out that showed just how interested the Fed had become on housing during the pandemic. One of the papers by the San Francisco Fed, uh, which I talked to one of the researchers there, and what it found is that there was, you know, a huge elevated demand for space during the pandemic, right? Not just the people who could go and work from any market they wanted, but also um, like decoupling roommates, right? So elevated demand for space, the elevated household formation that occurred during the pandemic, And the San Francisco Fed said that drove 60% plus of the home price growth during the pandemic. So that's the first paper. The second paper is the Fed comes out, and at the time, everyone was talking about how this was all very much supply-driven. Well, the Fed came out and said that uh, in a a Fed paper in June 2022, that the, the pandemic housing boom was driven by demand, and that had supply increased by 300%, it still wouldn't have matched all the demand that was created there. And the thing about the demand during the pandemic is you can't see it on the metrics. Like you, if you go look at new home sales or mortgage purchase applications, yes, you can see the ele- elevation, right? Sales went up. But what you don't see is all of this demand that was never met. The people who are bidding on the homes that didn't get the homes, all of that. Um, and so it, 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 it's hard for people to really understand just how gigantic that demand was at the at the top of the pandemic housing boom. And so that was a paper. And then another one came out from the Fed and it showed that they believe that 40 percent of non-housing inflation was driven by the growth in home prices in the housing market, which doesn't get talked about much. But this is a Fed paper and this is from the Fed uh, Board of Governors. Uh, Sorry, Lance, can you say that again? So you're saying that 40 percent of non- Housing inflation was driven by housing. Just people feeling flush, basically, like the, the equity growing in their house. If you have 40% growth in home prices in a 20-month, you know, 20 22, 24-month window, everybody feels so wealthy. Now, I think the wealth effect also is crypto stocks, all of it. But that whole like, you know, feeling high on the hog type effect, and it was kind of a release Right. And it was a release into big purchases, big renovations, uh, big lifestyle changes, second homes, third homes, um, uh, you know, RVs, all of that stuff. And so I think those three would show the demand for space, the fact that the pandemic housing boom was demand driven, and then the fact that uh, how the growth in home prices was helping to drive overall inflation is very much why I think and some of my reporting has suggested why the Fed was came out last year and did the fastest rate hiking cycle in 40 years. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to signal to the long-term rates to get very high very quick. And that's what we saw with mortgage rates. They went from three, four, five, six by June 2022. And then, you know, later in the year they kind of hit seven. But some of that was driven by some of the financial stuff that was happening overseas at the end of the last year. Uh, but it rolled over the housing cycle very quickly. And what the Fed was able to achieve is they were able to essentially stop home price appreciation for about a year, right? So they were able to stop that. They were able to stop any of the taps into equity because are you going to refinance your home to pull out equity if mortgage rates are 6-7%? And that kind of helps to tame down the wealth effect. I also think that the negativity that floated over the housing market in the second half of last year helped to the Fed. Although not all those like very bearish things came to fruition, it was like a psychology change where people were like, "Oh, this could be '08 again. This could," and it kind of and it pulled back some of that um, excess that was kind of unleashed. And that exuberance that came with, with the, uh, the pandemic housing boom. And so that was a long-winded way to get myself to uh, your question, which is about normalizing, correction, crashing type thing. Uh, because I still think the biggest story here, you know, the OA and th- that cycle, the 2000s housing cycle, what we remember most from it is not the ride up, it's the ride down. It was the crash it, because it was just so bad. And it took out so many different industries. You, you know, my dad uh, was a, uh, he, he had a business doing home additions. So you'd add another bedroom to your house type thing in like, you know, the early 2000s. And 06, 07, his business didn't go down, you know, 10%, 20%. It went down 100%. It was just poof, gone. And so we remember the bust last time more than the write-up. I think this one, we're going to remember the write-up much more than this normalizing period or correction or whatever you want to call it. Um, at least that's what it appears to be telling us. And so that's why I wanted to get in by starting by looking back at that boom, because I just think it's such an important economic story and lifestyle story, any way you want to look at it. it, it that was just very significant. And so what we've seen over the past year is once mortgage rates spiked, uh, the housing market... Uh, slipped in nationally into correction mode, what I like to call correction mode. And in the western half of the country, that actually materialized in house price declines very quickly. Now, it's not something that it was, you know, know, taking us back super far. You know, 10% drops in some of these markets was only wiping out three, four months of appreciation because the end of the pandemic housing boom was just so exuberant right there at the end, especially spring 2022. And so we did see a correction in a lot of the Western half of the country. The Eastern half of the country last year, while you could look at like median sales prices or list prices and you would see them going down, I think that was a head fake. And I think, and that's why when I put out uh, housing data and my housing charts, I do seasonally adjusted data. Because at the end of every year, things get a little softer in the market. And so a lot of the the price drops that were being reported for the eastern half of the country were really just seasonal declines. There wasn't like that much there. And then lo and behold, as soon as the market rolls into the busier season, the markets that were like flat, like not down on a seasonally adjusted basis, a lot of them were off to the races, so to speak, this year, once we came into the spring. And then those, uh, the markets that corrected in the western half of the country, more of them had a little bit of a bumpy start. Some of them are getting going now with price growth for the spring. Um, and then you have what I consider like uh, kind of like tr- true down markets, like in Austin. I think there was just a, a level of the exuberance there, and prices went up so fast so quickly, and it, it priced out a lot of the, the local job market there that, you know, they're a little detached from fundamentals. And so what's happening there could take a little more time to kind of play out. Um, but I, I refer to what we've seen over the past year as a correction. It's the 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 huge, the, the pressurized affordability, mortgage rates spiking after a 40% run up in national home prices, pressurized affordability. And so the market's reaction to that is what I call uh, the correction. Everything that the market's trying to do to get back to, like, getting transactions rolling and kind of, like, get getting back into a groove, that is what I consider the correction. And that could be things that aren't necessarily uh, declines in prices. That could be things like uh, seller concessions. Uh, you know, the builders on the, bu- on the builder side, you know, they were very aggressive because they had the margin to do it. Uh, mortgage rate buy-downs, things like that. Uh, of course, not having to wave things like inspections and all of that stuff is a you know a part of the correction process but in the while it's happening i call it correction but i think if you zoomed out and you looked back at this period and say like five years i think you would just say oh that was a period of normalization it was just the market normalized after a huge boom but i think going through it it's you know it's not necessarily that because it was so sharp because interest rate hikes were so aggressive uh, that the long term tail, the like mortgage rates went up so quickly. It was just such a, you know, sharp mortgage rates shock.
0: Lance, that was an incredible description of everything that's gone <laughs> on over the last two or three years. That's, that was amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I, I tend to agree. And I'm so glad you said that about seasonal adjustments, because I feel like I've been arguing with people on social media more than is mentally healthy to do about that, um, but I do want to uh, ask you about the Fed and basically what you were saying that they've released these papers talking about housing contributing to inflation. Given what's going on, is this like a big enough correction for the Fed? Like, do they want to see the housing market under more stress, or is there risk that, given that it plays such a role in non-housing inflation? Is it possible that this could, you know, drag out the fight against inflation? Yeah.
3: And and so when it comes to home prices, I don't necessarily know if the Fed is like eager to like, you know, to pull them down uh um like more than has already occurred, right? Because there becomes a certain point if prices go down too much in some of these markets, you affect with people's actual lives, right? Like some of the markets like Seattle that have moved down 15, 20 percent in some parts of uh, this market, like that's kind of getting to that dangerous level where, you know, you know, the people who bought at the top, you know, that could really hurt them. Uh, But I think the concern for the Fed here with housing is, okay, so the builders had these very frothy margins during the pandemic, right? They built up huge margins, they could charge whatever they wanted. And although the inputs like lumber and everything were going up so high, they were also, you know, they had a lot of flexibility to move prices up faster. And so they took that big margin and when the mortgage rate shock occurred, they just pulled down their margin and they offer, you know, they cut prices in some communities. Uh, you know, they did their incentives and then they really got into a groove with the mortgage rate buy downs. And that is allowing the new home side to recover with the, uh, you know, it looks like it could be a look you know, faster than expected. I'll say that. Um, And so why that matters is that the housing market is a transmission vehicle for the Fed. So if they jack up mortgage rates or put upward pressure on mortgage rates by telling the market, hey, we're going to move up, you know, rates by so much for the short term, then the long term tail moves up, right? And so then, they can push down activity in the housing market fairly quickly, but if the builders had the margin to just pull back on price and that now allows activity to rebound, the transmission of slowing the overall economy through the housing cycle is um, is uh, affected. And so the greater effects the greater concern might be for the Fed, less about like, okay. Home prices are moving up a little bit in some of these communities. And more, oh, the builders who are the real economic engine of the housing market, you know, they could get going a little bit here. And that could strengthen the overall economy. Because one of the goals of the Fed that they've said is that, one, the housing market was overheated and they've stopped that. Two, that the labor market is overheated. Well, if, if the housing market you were able to stop... But it's now getting back to life. Before you've rolled, you've stopped the overheating in the labor market. Then have they achieved their goal? Um, and so I, I think that's the potential concern is if they can't cool down the economy as much as they would like to, uh, because the resilience in the housing market.
0: What about uh the correction in terms of of housing affordability? Uh, you know it seems like you, your whole premise here that you've been saying is that there was so much demand that even with higher interest rates as demand gets pulled out of the market, it's still there um, and there's still enough. Is there risk of that running out though if rates stay you know this high or for a while um is there a potential that The market may be stabilizing now as it sort of works through that excess demand for the last couple of years, but then shows weakness, you know, once things sort of work through.
3: Yeah. So if I had to say where my kind of reporting is, like, it's not like, oh, last year was red and then now we're green in terms of like, oh, the housing market was bad for the housing market and now good for the housing market. It's more of like a yellow. It's like there's some caution here, you know affordability is very pressurized we don't necessarily know where the overall economy is going to go and we don't know like what could happen once like labor could break right like if jobs claims and unemployment were to start to rise um and then how that could you know potentially affect the market uh but you know the market's health here i well so The thing that's hurting the market is affordability, right? We're pressurized at levels that we've only been at a few times in history, like the late 70s, early 80s, uh, the top of the 2000s housing bubble, and then now. So affordability is the issue. But what we don't have a lot of is, you know, the supply overhang. Uh, We don't necessarily have a lot of the overbuilding, because even if something bad were to come, the builders are already kind of winding down and getting into a better position. So we don't have as much of that issue. And then also you don't have like the glut of the bad loans from last time. Uh, but I, I do think there is some caution, um, especially the fact that you do have some of these markets, at least like Austin, that on paper look like down markets. Um, and so being a down market while unemployment is at 3.5%, 34 what does that then look like if things were to, you know, change change in, in that regard fairly quickly? But I, I think the economy right now is signaling um, some strength. And Mark Zandy, I talked to him last week, uh, you know, for mortgage rates, his outlook is 6.5 for this year, which he's been at for like 10 months. And then by the end of 2024, he's 5.5. And a lot of that coming as the spread between mortgage rates and the 10-year kind of, you know shrink but he he says if the economy continues to prove resilient uh there is some risk that we could go up and test seven again for mortgage rates this year and so you know that that's something to look out for too
2: so I think you touched on what most of us are, are, are saying is the million dollar question which is I'm sure everybody wants to know where you think mortgage rates are gonna go but before before you get there um you you touched on this a little bit you talked about um, supply issues, and it, it kind of seems like as a country, we have supply issues. I know here in my local market, when we look at the supply numbers, uh, we are... Um, well, supply is up from the boom of 2021-22, but we're still at about half or less of the houses on the market that we had pre-pandemic levels. And so you know, even with interest rates, you know, fluctuating, hovering, say they get back to the seven, like it's hard to see, you know, how that's truly going to have an impact on sales when there's still so much, you know, there's still so little inventory. How do you see supply affecting uh, the housing market going forward?
3: Yeah. So last year, uh, I think that we very much saw the decline and sales that was driven by affordability getting uh, so pressurized and demand pulling back so quickly. But then now this year, we've seen the equilibrium of the market kind of get into better balance, and that's helped some markets to see price growth to return. But now so the, the potential growth for existing home sales is very much uh, restricted constrained by the lack of inventory, the lack of new listings coming onto the market. And so, yeah, uh, I I think there's two C words for the market right now, uh, depending on where you are. And one is constrained. There's just not a lot coming onto the market. And so it doesn't quite feel like a normal market. But then also, depending on where you are, the other one is competitive. It can be competitive. You can have a constrained market that is also competitive. And It'll be interesting to see how that kind of changes and moves from here. But I think the good news for the market is that essentially every since October, of when affordability was the most pressurized, when you know mortgage rates were what seven three seven three point seven, I think is the highest mortgage news daily reading last year. Since then, affordability has improved gradually, right? And even right now, as prices kind of inch up in some of these markets, it's still not occurring as fast as incomes are growing right now. And if mortgage rates could come down a little more and price growth doesn't exceed income growth, then on a real economic basis, affordability would gradually continue to improve. And as that occurs, that the gradual improvement in an inflation-adjusted affordability Plus, what I call what economists would call acceptance—people being like, you know what, I, you know, mortgage rates are six. They used to be three, four, but three, four is gone. I have another kid. I just got to go move. I, I need another house. And so that churn of the move-up buyers and sellers could slowly start to come back as affordability improves a little bit. Plus, acceptance—people just accepting. Things have changed. This is how it works now. And I I think acceptance, improved affordability, and then seasonality is already what put the
0: market into better, closer equilibrium uh, when we entered this year. I'm curious, you know, when you look at the market, and you do a lot of this, at least I've seen on Twitter, of comparing different regional markets, based on everything that you're seeing, this competition of constraint and competition What is sort of the distribution of outcomes for housing markets that you're seeing in forecasts? Um, You know, we see, I think last time I saw Austin was down, you know, I think 12, 13% year over year or something like that. There's still markets that are up double digits. Like, is that where you are seeing things ending at the end of this year that things will be so... Polarized in the housing market, even you know as it plays out for the next six months. Uh, that is something I was
3: thinking about today, actually. Which is, uh, I don't know if you saw the map that I posted for Tennessee. Rural Tennessee is kind of on fire. Uh, the first three months, you know, a lot of those markets are up five percent. Those zip codes and five percent on an annualized space. So five percent in three months annualized that's twenty percent. But we shouldn't annualize it because it is the spring, the peak season, but there are going to be parts of the country that are up plus 10% this year, unless something like really dramatically changes. That's what it looks like the trajectory's on. And actually some of those markets could hit the 10 just in the spring alone. And there are other markets where there's already so many declines that got uh, measured in that maybe were some like carried over from the end of last year, but they hit the indexes this year. That there's some markets that are already like, there's not like, any way they could get out of being down for the year. Like, I don't know how Austin could not be down for the year, just based on the three, four months of declines that got carried over. Um, and m- maybe, you know, that's going to age really bad and the market's going to, you know, t- take an upswing or something. But I, I think right now, uh, and, the- and the word that I introduced a few months ago, and and it's kind of caught on a little bit, is the bifurcation of the market, right? But then again, now there's a- even a little less bifurcation because more of the d- the markets that were kind of trending down have started to kind of trend up mildly um, so i I could any number that you throw at me from like minus five to plus like 12 thirteen, 14 percent, I could probably find a market that I think would fall into that bucket uh, for the year um, which, you know and you know that saying that real estate is local
0: uh, it, it really is true and you got to know your local market that you're buying in and so on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not, you know, some old hand here. I've been investing for, for 12, 13 years though enough, but this is by far the most differentiated market. I would say that I, at least I've seen, like it used to be, you know, some were going up slowly, maybe they're up down one or 2%, but you're talking about potentially spreads of 20 or 20, you know, 25 percentage points, like anywhere from down five, 10% to up 15, 20%, like, it's an enormous spread. And I, you know, I don't know if those are the the exact numbers, but um, it's just, it's just wild to see how differently different parts of the country are. And even I think, you you know, you've, you've reported on this as well, even places that are geographically relatively close to each other are having like really different outcomes. Um, You know, you see places in Texas, for example, or Florida, um, where the outcomes are just really different, even though like Some of the more macro factors seem to be similar.
3: Well, yeah. uh, Right now, on a year-over-year basis, there's no major market in the country among the 100 largest that has more appreciation than Miami. But then you go over to the other side, where they just had that hurricane in September, and uh, some of those markets didn't even see a seasonal decline in inventory heading into this year. No seasonal decline. They just kept going up. And, you know, that's within, you know... A few hour drives of each other uh yeah so it it, it does kind of feel like that and that's why on my twitter feed i'm going to continue to post more of these uh, zip code level maps uh i kind of wish i did more of it last year because i i think it helps to kind of tell the story
2: right now yeah could i get you to add a few more states to your yes article on things are getting weird because uh <laughs> Looking at this, oh, this is good stuff, man. Uh, yeah, rural Tennessee's crazy. Ohio looks, uh, you know, like their values are increasing all across. Yeah, and, uh, and that's where I am. I'm in uh, Cincinnati. I've I've always been a fan. I told we've had these arguments. I like these unsexy markets, man. It's pretty cool. But yeah, man, I'd I'd like to see a whole a whole a whole i i I could send you a few more states off the right. Yeah. yeah, and, so and hit me,
0: with them and I'll do them. <laughs> are there any markets, Lance, that you're like? were down, you know, you said Austin, you think like that can't avoid a downturn, but, um, you know, a lot, some of the other ones that were leading the way sort of in terms of decline, Seattle, Boise, you know, San Jose, San Francisco, like, are any of those starting to show signs of recovery? Yeah,
3: they they are more
0: of those. And, uh, and I've kind of been,
3: th- I've never really grouped Seattle, San Francisco, LA, those like very West coast markets with the markets like a phoenix or boise or las vegas um and and so he, here's why the markets like seattle and san francisco and la the affordability there or, or the prices at least were all the way maxed out to what people could afford right like and this has been this way for years right like you know, those prices are like so far extended from incomes and people have been pushing them up for so long that anytime time uh, mortgage rates move up, they're just more uh, mortgage rate sensitive. And so you can see this in the data in 2018, 2019. Actually, San Jose was one of the few markets in the country that went down year over year after mortgage rates moved up from what, like four to five and a half very briefly in 2018. And the reason is, is it's just very rate sensitive out there because, you know, there's no supply and there's been no supply for so long that they've just kind of overheated themselves to the max that anytime affordability changes very quickly by mortgage rates, it it, it just, it becomes overextended. Like it goes over the top, essentially. It kind of goes over the top. But what they don't have is a lot of supply. So while the market briefly corrects, It then has to deal with that, the fact that there's just no supply in the market. So it kind of meets back to equilibrium faster is the theory. Austin is different. Austin has real supply. It's a boom town with a lot of building. And anytime the music stops in a market where you're having a boom, 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 and then the market changes, if there's a lot of supply that can roll on and create kind of a a temporary supply glut on the market. And so that, I think that's why we've seen a market like Austin move up so much faster uh, for inventory. And I think that will also potentially make it to where a market like Austin takes longer to work out of it than, say, in LA or Seattle. Uh, It's it's more of a typical, like, boom-bust type scenario. Uh, Whereas it's kind of hard to say boom bust just doesn't sound right for like an LA Seattle. They're all used to being crazy expensive. Yeah. It's been like that for years. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and to me, the, the word bust kind of implies construction in my mind. Um, I don't know. That's kind of how I see it. And maybe I'm naive with it and maybe they're all like way more similar than I think, but I've been looking at them as like different types of markets, for a while, and also if you look at a market like Austin, something that's interesting is the the top of the market has actually been a little more stable than the bottom. But then if you look at those West Coast markets, the entry level is way hotter than the top, and so I, you know, I kind of think that's because you know the people coming into the market have kind of detached a market like Austin from the local fundamentals. Uh, I I don't know that that's kind of. My my hot take on it.
2: All right. Well, speaking of hot takes, you know we gotta put you in the official on the market hot seat. So <laughs> and, and that it's really nothing that official. He just made that up. Yeah, I totally <laughs> made that. Feel like we need one of those like, you know, fire sounds or bombs going off. But yeah, so I think you know, everybody wants to know, you know, where you think interest rates are gonna land. Uh, by the end of this year?
3: Yeah, so I I kind of made a bet last year. I, so I don't make predictions like publicly with stuff, but I think if you could see where I put my time last year, I, I very much made a bet with my time that mortgage rates were going to go up a lot quicker than the industry thought. The industry, you know, came into 2022 thinking that mortgage rates were going to be like 3.7, 3.6, 4 And I kind of called BS on that, because if you looked at November 2021, Powell said that inflation was not transitory. And if you looked at the numbers, unemployment was down to like, the unemployment rate was like mid threes and inflation was six and it was still moving up. And it's like, and housing's booming. Like everything there was signaling the Fed was going to move from focusing on, uh, Unemployment to inflation, and very quickly, and that they were kind of behind on the eight, eight ball, and and then mortgage rates did move up very fast, and that of course had a very uh, acute effect on the housing market. And you know, I was kind of well positioned to cover it and write about it. I don't necessarily have a big bet like that, where I feel like everybody's like so wrong, and it's like so obvious, like that in hindsight was super obvious. Like, inflation is running, the housing market is really booming, and the economy is so strong that the Fed can jack things up fairly quickly. Like, that, I think, in hindsight, is pretty straightforward. Right now, it's trickier because it's like, you know, even a lot of these macroeconomists, you talk to them and everyone will tell you a different story in terms of the, how they think the overall economy is going to respond to the, you know, to the rate hikes, Um, And there is a lag in terms of transmission from rate hikes going into effect and then the impact on the economy. So we haven't necessarily seen it all yet. But I, I think where the overall economy goes is the biggest question to kind of being able to figure out, okay, where do mortgage rates go from here? I think if we go into a recession, you know, I think history kind of tells us that the 10 year mortgage rates come down, right? Uh, But if the economy continues to prove resilient, or maybe inflation starts to kind of rear, you know, kind of, you know, show it's a little stickier than people thought, then uh, the rates could maybe stay up higher than longer. One interesting thing that Zandy told me recently, Mark Zandy, chief economist at Moody's Analytics, is that, you know, there's a huge spread right now in terms of the 10-year and mortgage rates. It's like three percentage points. And it's normally like 1.75, two percentage points. So if things normalized, mortgage rates today would be like 5.5 instead of 6.5. And he says one thing that's keeping that from normalizing right now is the turmoil in the banking sector. Because they're not getting the deposits. And normally the group of buyers that competes with the Fed for buying those MBS securities are the banks. But they don't have the deposits right now and they're not buying as much. So moving into this year, into 2023, the thought was that that spread would start to normalize as these other buyers like banks kind of picked up the slack. Well, then you had the bank failures uh, earlier in 2023, and the the spreads had made progress before the bank failures in terms of coming down a bit. And that's why mortgage rates actually hit 5.99 for that one rating in February. And since then, the spread has just went right back to where it was last year um, at, you know, a three percentage points, a full three percentage
0: points. So we just saying very uncertain is the call. <laughs> Unfortunately, we can't pin you down. But I just want to explain a little bit to everyone listening um, what the spread means. Basically, if you look at the correlation between uh, mortgage rates and bond yields, they are very closely correlated. The 10 year um, the yield on a 10 year treasury and mortgage rates move very closely together. When one goes up, the other goes up. When one goes down, the other goes down. Normally, the difference between them is, as Lance said, about 175 basis points to 200 basis points. So if the yield on a 10-year is at 3%, you would expect mortgage rates to be somewhere around 47 to 5%. Right now, they are really elevated. The spread between bond yields and mortgage rates are up at around 300 basis points, or 3%. And that is due to a lot of different factors, uh, but uh, basically the market sees risk in buying mortgage yields as as opposed to bonds. Um, And so it's higher right now than it has. And the reason that this is so important is that that can come down without the Fed lowering interest rates. So there is a path for mortgage rates to come down before the Fed starts lowering the federal funds rate. And so I just want to make sure everyone understands like how that is technically possible.
3: Yeah, and, and really the market that we've seen over the past 12 months would have been very different had we not had that huge spread, right? Had we had a normalized spread, the market wouldn't have seen a steep of a correction last year. And then this spring, if the spread was normalized and we were at a 5.5% mortgage rate, it would be a very different, much warmer market, much more activity, uh, much more of the move-up buyers and sellers uh, than we've seen so far. So, yeah, uh, while it's one of those, like, you know, kind of nerdier topics, it has a huge impact
0: on uh, the real, you know, the the real market. The more you learn about economics, you realize that bonds just rule the world. Yeah. It's sad, but it's true. I mean, what, what, uh, I spend a lot of my day just looking at the 10-year. <laughs> I think, yeah, that's like the the course of anyone who studies macroeconomics. You like look at all this different stuff, and at the end, you're just looking at bond yields. <laughs> all right, Lance. Well, thank you so much. This has been super helpful and insightful. I really appreciate your opinions here and your all of your, your great research. Is there anything else you think our audience should know about the housing market in 2023?
3: No, I, I think we've covered uh, the really big stuff. I think one thing, one lesson here is that we've heard a lot of opinions of people saying where the market's going to go over the past three years. And the market has just done its own thing. (laughs) It really has. And so I would say even take the things that I've said with a grain of salt and take a lot of these forecasts with a grain of salt. Uh, And while I do share all the forecasts and as they get revised, um, I I would still say take things with a grain of salt and, you know, try to look at the fundamentals in your market.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Lance. If people want to follow your work, um, I know you're you're very active on Twitter. Can you share your Twitter account anywhere else that people should uh, follow your work? Yeah, they can find me
3: at News Lambert on Twitter, and that's Lambert, L-A-M-B-E-R-T. Or you can Google Lance Lambert Fortune, and you'll find my author page at Fortune
0: Magazine. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Lance. We appreciate it yeah thanks for having me
2: So what'd you think of Lance? I think he was great. I mean, talk about a wealth of knowledge and not just a lot of knowledge, but he did a great job like explaining some pretty complex um, um topics and summarizing it in a way that I think will make sense for a lot of people. You know, we we I told him off camera that I thought his, his explanation of kind of what's happened in the market over the last three years was a great one. And so I think people should rewind this and listen to that first answer again, if you really want to get a sense of kind of what's been going on in the market.
0: Yeah, I, I loved what he said about how much extra demand there was in the market that is just truly impossible to measure. You don't know how many people are still trying to get a house after a year or two and are still willing. And as he said, accepting new mortgage rates because they've been at this for years and there still is just this excess demand that is working through the market and combining that with low supply. It's it's just wild. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this like I try and be sort of objective about the market and like oh just give my opinion on whether it's going up or down based on no emotion but part of me feels like the correction like is not big enough like (laughs) you know I own property I don't want it to go down but you know like the amount the the lack of affordability um, does worry me long term even if like right now it's enough to sustain the housing market it just doesn't seem good to me that like housing is as he said one of the three least affordable times in you know recent history last 50 years uh, in the housing market
2: real estate has always gone up over time but it's just that there has been you know people have been able to kind of keep up with it as you know wages have increased and 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 things of that nature and so I don't know man it is kind of scary I think I think that affordability will continue to be a problem I mean I personally don't think we're going to see too much more of prices dropping I mean when you looked at the kind of the heat maps he had on uh his article about the the housing market's getting weird just seeing just how many markets are seeing prices you know still go up even if it's single digits I mean we're still seeing that prices are increasing in a lot of the country and here and in, in my local market you know it seems it seems like the market's healthy right because if if a property is priced right and it's done right it sells so fast and if it's priced poorly and it's done poorly then it sits and isn't that what's supposed to happen
0: <laughs> yes
3: that's exactly
2: what's supposed
0: to happen <laughs> Yeah, it's just a, a strange situation. Um, So I mean, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. I, I think, you know, the trajectory we're on right now, we're recording this, you know, sort of the beginning of May, middle of May, is I agree, like, I think prices are going to start coming back slowly in the majority of markets, um, unless something big changes. Like, you know, there's always like, could be some geopolitical shock or, you know, natural disaster, whatever, you know. But, like, just the way the reliable indicators are pointing is the correction may be bottoming out a little bit. Um, Not in every market, of course, but on a national level.
2: All the more reason, you guys, that you've got to be... It's it's so much more important now than it's ever been for you to be educated in what uh, you're about to take on from an investment perspective and also educated in your local market because... This time has is like this is the poster child for real estate is local. Every market seems to be a little bit different. And so please, please educate yourselves on your local market before you dive into something and realize you made a mistake.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you like this episode, please. We would love a review on either Spotify or Apple Uh, We always really appreciate that. It really helps us grow and it does help us land really good guests. They definitely look at our reviews. And so when we have all these nice reviews, we get great guests like Lance. So if you haven't yet, we would really appreciate it. Either way, we will see you next time for On The Market. On The Market is created by me, Dave Meyer and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub, and a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies.